I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. Very welcome to episode 130 of the Irish Photography Podcast. My name is Darren, I'm your host this evening, and I'm joined by somebody who I've wanted to have a chat with for a long period of time. So, without any further ado, Norm McCluskey, welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. How are you getting on, buddy? I'm good, Darren. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks very much for coming on. You know, I mean, like we've chatted a number of times in the gallery over the years, and I kind of said to myself, I want to get him on. I want to get him on. I want to get him on. I want to try and learn more about the fantastic work that you've done. I'm sure our audience as well would be excited to kind of hear your uh, story. So I suppose to start off it really, Norm, if somebody doesn't know, who is Norman McCluskey? That's a question I've been asking myself for a long time. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm 49. I'm originally from Limerick City. I'm living here in Kerry for the best part of most of the last 30 years. Okay. I had a short sojourn in Dublin for college and work for a while but managed to get back here as quick as I could. Married, dad to two kids, so I'm a landscape photographer based here in Kerry. I've been a photographer for nearly 30 years now Wow! and primarily almost always landscape. I've worked in every area of photography that that there is going. I run a gallery here, I publish my own books which is you know the driving force behind what I do Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah other than that I'm a long-suffering Leeds United fan Oh, God help you. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I mean, uh, that pretty much kind of sums me up, I think. It's it's a very, very good summary. It's a very good intro, you know, and a couple of questions actually which have come out of that is you mentioned here that you're in Kenmare for near on 30 years. So judging doing the math, you moved down there when you were around 19 or 20 and stuff like that. So what made you move to the Kingdom of Kerry? What was the, the, the draw? Yeah, so I was I was 20 in Limerick at the time so that would have been 1991 mm-hmm. a lot of people forget that you know ireland wasn't was just coming out of a recession back then and uh, i didn't get a ticket to the dell computers uh, roadshow that was in limerick if you didn't get a job in dell that was it that was it yeah so i mean basically we were on the dole doing nothing mm-hmm. so myself and a mate of mine went down to to Kerry for a bit of r and r and a change of scenery uh, my sister was living here she okay. was a bit of a hippie so she was having a great time down here so we heard loads of good stories so we came down and I just absolutely fell in love with the place. It was, it was like going to a different planet, let alone mm-hmm. a different county. Mm-hmm. It was such a change from my upbringing in, in the city. I mean, it was, it was wonderful. And I just, just was turning 21 that summer. So I had a ball mm-hmm. and we were only supposed to stay for a couple of weeks. Uh, and my mate eventually went back. And the morning we were going to go back, I just decided, no, I'm not going. Wow. Because I had nothing to go back to, really. Mm-hmm. And I stayed and I got a job and, you know, everything else fell on from that. And it was the best thing I ever did, really. Sure, you yeah. know, yeah. I knew back then, even th- at that young age, that I was doing the right thing. I mean, everyone thought I was mad. I mean, mm-hmm. all, my, all, all the rest of my friends back in Limerick didn't even know where Kenmare was. <laughs> and I just couldn't understand it. You have to you get know, a flight to go under- to Kenmare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just couldn't understand it. I, I, I didn't really have, I hadn't heard of it. Mm-hmm much you know but uh yeah so we ended up ended up here and um yeah never looked back really it was wonderful wow, wow. and you know you, you touched on something else as well there is just in regards to the different genres of photography so like you went down there 
with your know, your head high in the clouds, let's just say, loving life, loving this different planet you were after finding. But you were were you into photography at that point, or did the photography come later? It's a funny question because my my initial answer for years and years and years was no, I had no interest in photography. Okay, and photography found me in uh, uh, you know one of these really. Wonderful twists of fate where I was helping a friend. The, the, the guy I ended up working for in a restaurant was moving okay. house. He asked me to help him. I wasn't too um, impressed because I was blindly hungover. Okay. We were, we were, a few of us were roped into doing this. I was carrying this big heavy box out, this big silver box, and I asked him what was in it. And he said, oh, I actually don't know. I hadn't seen that in years. I opened it up and inside was this pristine Canon FTB 35 mil. Wow. Uh, with a 50 mil 1.2 lens. Of course, wow. I didn't know what any of that meant. Yes. But it was absolutely, you know, never used. So he'd got it as a gift and he had never used it. Wow. And I had never seen anything like this before in my life, up close anyway. And I don't know why, but I was completely transfixed by it. Uh-huh. I just couldn't stop kind of looking at it and thinking about it. And eventually I plucked up enough courage to ask him, could I borrow it? And he said, you know, what do you want it for? And I said, I don't know. I just I need to, I need to borrow this and I need to figure it out. It's incredible. And the you know he was Dutch, so the instruction booklet that came with it was in Dutch. It took me about a day to figure out how to actually even open it to put a roll of film into it. There was no YouTube, no internet, you know, no mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I had to figure this all out myself, and it was incredible. It was just I put a roll of film into it, hopped on my bike cycled out onto the Bear Peninsula and spent a day taking pictures in landscape. Wow. I had never done anything like this before. And it was, it was incredible. It was a wonderful day. Everything else followed on from that. But years later, by the time I was in, I had finished college and I was already working in photography and I was chatting to my mum one evening when I went back to Limerick. You know, we were talking about how I ended up here and whatever. And like, she just very casually says, sure, sure, you were always interested in photography. And I said, how do you mean? She said, sure, we couldn't take the camera out of your hand as a child. She says, half those pictures we have in the family album were taken by you. And I was like, this was just bizarre. And then she pointed, she reminded me that from my tent on, uh, when I was 10, the only prize I've ever won in my entire life was a camera. <laughs> my father, who wasn't in, in my life, was an avid photographer. And then the only ever extracurricular thing that I ever signed up to do in secondary school was a class where we went, we stayed behind in the evenings developing some pictures in a dark room that our chemistry Incredible. teacher. Now, none of this was a conscious thing in my head. So mm-hmm. I wasn't the one to like, uh, you know, I wasn't the one to pick up a hobby and follow it and pursue it. Mm-hmm. I would try everything for about five minutes and mm-hmm. be useless at it <laughs> and move on. But photography seemed to be there. And, and then it bizarrely, you know, that, that camera that I won when I was 10, 10 I brought it everywhere with me. Mm-hmm. So on all the school trips and sixth class and first year and everything, I took these pictures. Now, I found them about 10 years ago. Okay. My mom passed away. Couldn't believe it. It was wonderful. And I went to my 30th school reunion. I can't believe I'm actually saying that. My 30th school reunion. Uh, no, no, it couldn't be 30th. Was it the 20th? No, it is my 30th. Wow. Back in Limerick over Christmas last year. Okay. And I brought, the, I brought these photographs of from when we were in first year. And we were a bunch of messers and uh-huh. the stuff that was on it was and the guys just couldn't believe it. You know, it was it was incredible. Yeah. So photography had somehow was always knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why when I when I saw this camera that I it, that it had such an impact. And maybe, you know, as soon as I started taking pictures, it took hold finally. Mm-hmm. I mean, the rest follows on from there. But 
it's funny, you know, I, I said, I said, oh, yeah, no, I, my photography, my interest in photography started in 1992, but I used to, oh, that was my default answer for so many years. Mm -hmm. Only recently I realized it's always there. Yeah, it probably took off from 1992 and there was a subconscious and an innate passion for it that you probably didn't have the association with until you picked up this and went, oh, hang on a second, and look where you are, I suppose. Would that be something, and you think of it, that you went off out to bear, as you said, and you had this camera, you had this passion, and then you had this scenery in front of you, which kind of was like a perfect storm of the ideal things to fall in love with even more. Is that a good synopsis? Yeah, one of the reasons I stayed in, in Kenmare and didn't go back to Nimerick uh, was I just uh, was absolutely, completely overwhelmed and, and just totally fell in love with the landscape. I mean, I was having a great time otherwise, you know, mm -hmm. there was, mm -hmm. there was, lots of parties and it was it was great fun as you do yeah. but I was genuinely you know just blown away by the beauty of this place and being able to live in a town in such proximity to it was incredible as well it was actually kind of overwhelming you know I kind of I was like going Jesus 20 years what have I been doing you know <laughs> and you know like the closest thing I got to it as a kid was watching Grizzly Adams you know <laughs> you know thinking like imagine what it's like to live out there and all of a sudden now I was living in this lovely little house you know staring out at this landscape all the time. So actually, when I picked up a camera and started looking through the lens and started taking, it was a way of actually interpreting that. And it was a way of actually having a conversation and expressing uh, myself mm -hmm. for it because I'd bore the hell out of everyone in the pub telling them about what, what valley I went into one day or what, you know, what great place I found. I mean, even the locals, I mean, they were sick of hearing about it. And I used to just go on and on and on about this, like. But actually then with, with, with photography, it was just a very, it was a much simpler way of doing it. Mm. And mm. it was a way that I could just really express this in a creative way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I, you know, I never dreamed that when I started that it would come to anything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was, it was great. And, you know, the inspiration was right there from the right, you know, I was in the best place for it. It, mm. it was all around me. And mm. by chance, yeah, Vera was the first place I went out and took pictures. Tell me this, you kind of alluded to as well in your, in your intro, but it's landscape photography primarily right now that I know you for. But have you dabbled in other areas of photography over the years? So I imagine when you had your camera, a young buck around Kenmare with this camera, you were taking pictures of everybody, everywhere, everything, every place. Were you doing street photography, even though you didn't know you were doing street photography? Were you doing abstract photography, even though you didn't know you were doing abstract photography? Or was it purely the landscape that you said, you know what, yeah, I'm only going to do this. Are you? Did you try everything? I didn't try everything out of interest. I mean, I had to do, I mean, I spent, I studied photography in college. Okay. So I, I, I went to our college in, I think it's called IADT now. That was fantastic. That was, that was wonderful. And it was a million miles away from, from landscape photography. So it forced you to do lots of other things, such as mm -hmm. street photography, reportage, some portraiture, studio photography, and so on. So I did, mm -hmm. a, I did all of that during college. I didn't really have any interest in other area, area of photography. I mean, when I, when I started off, I, I self-taught myself. And the only resource that I could find, there wasn't even a book in the library. There wasn't even wow. one single photography book in, in Kenmare Library. And I had to just annoy and beg and plead uh, one of the shopkeepers here to stock a practical photography magazine for me. And when, when you got that back in the 90s, it was really camera club amateur stuff. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, apples dropping into bowls of milk and mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Or else it was like 16 pages of features on how to photograph a chaffinch or something. Mm -hmm. I had no interest in it. And, you know, the only bits that I was interested in were the landscape bits. Okay. 
I had no interest in how, you know, how to light a model or anything like that. But I did bring my camera with me everywhere and all of my friends got really used to it. Dangerously, I brought it on out on nights out. <laughs> Before know? the Internet and Facebook yeah. was their norm with so, his camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's wonderful because I have I have some great um, I've captured some Candid great memories, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm a very nostalgic person. So it's wonderful to have that. But I didn't really have any interest in that. It was landscape all the time. And when I went to art college, it was a real shock because I, re I, I only realized, even though I got in with a portfolio made up of primarily landscape photo photographs, okay. landscape photography was totally frowned upon. It was, it was amateur hour. It, was, it wasn't serious photography at all. Mm -hmm. And I had a real struggle and a real battle with a couple of my lecturers. There's a lot of politics that goes on in college, especially art college, mm -hmm. because it's, it's quite a subjective uh, thing. You know, there's no mm -hmm. um, strict criteria for marking someone's photography work. And I had a battle. I was determined to somehow get landscape into every one of my projects and assignments. Okay. So I did a lot of conceptual landscape work and everything. And I even brought landscapes into the studio. I, I, I kind of, I, I did lots of pretty crazy stuff, okay. but it was really great. But it was always, and I was just determined uh, not to, uh, not to kind of turn my back on it. But, you know, I left college, uh, as most of us did, and the harsh reality of the world hits you very quickly. Yes. Uh, you know, you're, you know, there's very few jobs out there. So straight away, I was into commercial photography and I was assisting. And that's that's the route I thought I was going to take. Mm -hmm. And I spent a year doing that. And while it was pretty cool, you know, we did some really good jobs and we did some interesting stuff. I, I immediately knew I didn't want to be a commercial photographer. Okay. Uh, and then I ended up working in a sports photography agency for 18 years. Uh, and I definitely okay. didn't want to be a sports photographer. Okay. You know? yeah. Even though I did do, I did do some photography for the agency. I was very selective about what I did, but mm -hmm. it was always landscape. Your passion you know, was it, landscape. That, that was the only thing that, that actually would get me out of bed at four in the morning, willingly, five days in a row. That was mm -hmm. the only thing that never felt like work. It was, it was one thing that I had a passion. It's, it's, it's how I identified myself as a photographer. Okay, and in yeah. fact, for years, my girlfriend at the time would, would introduce me to her friends as a photographer. And I kind of, I kind of, yeah, I'm not yeah, really, yeah, 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 I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not really a photographer because I wasn't doing landscape photography work. I mean, I was, I was doing lots of other little jobs, paid jobs and so on. And I was working in photography and I was making all my money from photography. Mm -hmm. But because I wasn't a landscape photographer, I, it's, I just didn't identify as one mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for a long time. It wasn't a passion. No. And, you know, I ended up, I mean, like, you know, I ended up doing lots of, lots of commercial work and lots of portraiture and lots of weddings for three, four years after, okay. you know, in recent times, but it was always landscape. So I, I, I was very easy. It was very easy for me to walk away from all of that about mm -hmm. three years ago and just mm -hmm. decide it's just going to be landscape and that's it. And, and, you know, it's interesting you say it about landscape because from my point of view, I'm a landscape photographer and I'm only a landscape photographer. I don't do anything else. So like, I have my friends and go, oh, sure, there's this kid's party. Darren has a camera. He'll take the, no. I only know how to take photos of landscape because the landscape stays still. People don't. And that's something that I, in my own mind, I don't enjoy taking those other photographs. So if the passion is there and you, you know, there's the old phrase, you find the job you love, you never have to work another day in your life because it's something mm -hmm. that you enjoy. The motivation is there. It gets you out of the bed in the morning, it gets you home in the evening late and such like that. But from the landscape, from my point of view, and even looking at your images, it's clear that the passion is there for the landscape because you will put yourself in those conditions. You will be chasing those lights. You are in search of that unique image in something which somebody else might look past. And that's where I think 
the, the, the for me the hook comes into it because you can go out with a camera and you can take a picture of a subject but you can go out with a camera to take a picture of the landscape and it tells a much much broader story but you can add your own twist to it as well then by the time that you're there where you compose the photograph the story you tell within the image and for the person that's looking that image it actually can be more immersive than any other static image that you might see out there of a sports or a person or a product or whatever it may be so i think it's interesting you say that your passion was only for a landscape ultimately and everything else was kind of by the by but at the end of the day if it wasn't landscape you weren't happy because you've now and you mentioned it again earlier on you know you've got a fantastic gallery that's down in kenmare and it's a landscape photography gallery and you can see well i can see because i've visited a number of occasions that you you can see part of you within that entire gallery of images that are there because the landscape is so addictive because you can go out into exactly the same scene every single day but you're going to get a different shot every single day so what made you then think you know what yeah i'm good at this landscape photography business i enjoy this landscape photography business what made you think about setting up the gallery in kenmare was it because everybody in kenmare knew that you were the guy with the camera and it was a natural progression or was it something that you know what no i'm going to show people that i can do this and I'm going to show them how good it can be with the landscape. No, it was actually it, it was it was the dream from from day one. Okay, it, it was it was always there. I mean, and very specifically, and I, I've I've told this story before and kind of talks on that. But I think it must have been uh, I'd say '93 or '94, and I went to Kinsale for a weekend with my girlfriend at the time, and I walked in the doors of Giles Norman's gallery mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Kinsale which is a lot different than it is now. A, mm -hmm. I was amazed to find a, a landscape photography gallery mm -hmm. in Ireland. I, I hadn't heard of him because how would you? You know, there was, there was no, For sure. you know, apart from maybe seeing postcards in those days, that, yes. that would be it. I walked in the door, I just, you know, I, and I, I sometimes wonder, do I, do I remember this differently? But I seem to remember like the classic gallery setup of like pot of coffee brewing for people who were browsing. There was music playing, he was in, behind the counter. And as I was looking around, I, God, I, my, I bored my girlfriend. I, I didn't want to leave the place. You know, I was in there for ages and ages and ages. And then someone came in and was chatting to him and, you know, bought a piece. And he, you know, he wrapped it up and off they went. And I just thought, that's amazing. I had, I'd always lacked focus in my life. I hadn't a clue what I wanted to do. My girlfriend at the time, she was very, she wanted to be a writer. And that's okay. what we knew. And that was it. What I was going to do was anybody's guess. So it was definitely before I went to college, I'm sure. But I walked out of that, walked out of that gallery and I says, that's that's it. That's, that's it. what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And very specifically, I wanted to do it in Kenmare. I had that dream. And when I say dream, I, I, I really mean like this is the kind of stuff that A, I used to actually dream about and B, I used to stay awake at night thinking about thinking about for about 20 years and I had I had some op op some opportunities and when I when my work began to develop and when I began to meet other photographers and I went to see you know a couple of quite prestigious photographers at the time in Ireland who weren't necessarily landscape photographers but were very good photographers and I would go and see them and I'd bring my portfolio and they were you know massively encouraging and they'd be saying look, this is gallery stuff, this is good. I, I kind of cringe now because it wasn't that great, but they saw something in it. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, you should be doing this and what would you like to do? And I'd say, oh, I'd love to have a gallery. And they said, well, do it. But I never really backed myself. You know, I just mm -hmm. didn't have the confidence and I just wasn't that type of person. I, I, was, I was quite reluctant. 
and I ended up from college, then from a year working as an assistant, to getting a job with the sports photography agency. Mm-hmm. That surrounded me with a massive comfort blanket, and it was too comfortable because I ended up having a really, really good job, mm-hmm. and it was hugely enjoyable, and I had massive benefits from it. Okay. You know, I got to travel, uh, I got to buy loads of gear through the company. I was really well paid, and then the biggest bonus of all was. I got to actually up sticks and move to Kerry and work from home for yeah. 14 years, mm-hmm. which, you know, it, everyone's doing it now, but I was doing it 14 years ago mm-hmm. and it, it was wonderful. So, you know, even during, during that time I had opportunities, but I just thought, no, not now is not the time. My work was in other people's galleries and I was, I was selling little bits and, and so on. You know, there were times when I thought my chance is gone. You know, I've seen people come to Kenmare and do basically live my dream, open up galleries. And, you know, sometimes it felt like a bit of a kick in the teeth. Sometimes I felt, oh, look, this is just how it's supposed to be. I've actually always trusted kind of fate. I've always just realized there's there's a path and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to force it. But eventually it did. It it, it came my way. And bizarrely, it's a long story, but I I won't tell it. But basically the gallery came to me. I I wasn't looking for the space at all. And it was a place that had been completely overlooked in Kenmare and when it came to me via a friend of my wife's I just didn't really I didn't really think you know she came in and said this place is free you know what do you think and I said well find out how the rent is, what the rent is because I thought it'd be astronomical mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when she came back and told me what the rent is was I very quickly did some sums and realized actually you know I'm selling enough online as it is to cover that and more so but even even with that I wasn't sure we were going away for the weekend with the kids we were going down to West Cork okay and we were chatting the whole way down the car in it and she was trying to be encouraging but she had never really pushed me into something I didn't know I was ready for we stopped for lunch in Ross Carvery she was up at the Carvery I was with the kids the kids were quite small at the time next minute this voice was we were chatting about nothing else the whole way down Will I, won't I, will I, won't I? And I'm so indecisive. This voice beside me says, sorry, is this seat free? And I looked up and it was Giles Norman. <laughs> and he was, he was sitting down beside me having lunch. And I had never spoken to him since that day. Wow. And I didn't talk to him that day. I just said, yes, it is. And then I was looking at my wife sat down and got the food. And I was just looking at her and she says, what, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and I was kind of, you know, I couldn't obviously say a word, but I just, you know, we walked out of that place and I said, well, look, if ever there's a sign, you know, that's Here got to be a sign. Yeah. Yes. And I just said, I'm doing it, you know, let's do wow. it. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was great. And I kind of, I, I, I haven't looked back since, you know. Mm. Now, mm. I mean, I was very fortunate in that the company that I was working with at the time, you know, I agreed to go down to a three day week. Okay. And I kind of convinced my boss that, I would still, yeah, all my time would, st- would still go into, you know, mm-hmm. but it was never going to be the case, really. Mm-hmm. So after a couple of months, you know, the cracks began to show and, the, and he knew and I knew that the parting was coming. And, and there was a bit of pressure on it already because I'd been, you know, 14 years out of the office. It's, it, it, you know, and the dynamic in the company yeah, was changing. Sure. So, yes. I, you know, I think it was great timing in that probably going to have to move on anyway. We, we kept that up for a couple of months and eventually I said, look, you know, that's it. We're, yeah, I got to do this full time. Let's call it a day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I didn't exactly jump, jump out of a plane without a parachute or anything. I had already 
kind of been setting up a, a very small fledgling kind of commercial business. So I was yeah. doing a lot of interiors. I was doing a lot of kind of B&Bs. I was, you know, doing a little bit of PR. I was, I was doing some house shots for, you know, the Sunday Times and the Sunday Tribune and stuff. So I had a fledgling kind of commercial business there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I got approached um, to actually be a wedding photographer, of all things. And it was for a local venue. The, the guy that had approached me, he's quite a, a famous hotelier in okay. Ireland. He said, you know, he gave me this big, long pitch about how he wanted. And it was kind of embarrassing because I was trying to work up where is the point that I'm going to tell him that I'm not a wedding photographer. <laughs> and um, eventually I actually, you know, he, he, he was talking for about 15 minutes and he's, he's, he's incredibly persuasive and enthusiastic. Yes. And eventually I just said, well, look, John, I'm not a wedding photographer. And he said, sure, I know that. And he said, that's why I want you. I, I was even more confused. And I said, okay, fine, put me on the list. And within two or three weeks, I had like four bookings. Wow. And I had absolutely no clue how I was going to do them. Um, it was bizarre. It was scary. I mean, my very first wedding, I turned up outside the bride's house and I nearly threw up with nerves. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, and a bit like everything else I did in, in, you know, in my previous career in the sports photography agency and everything else and as an assistant and as a freelancer, you just go in and be professional. So I just was in and, and professional. And I worked in the hospitality industry for 10 years as well. Okay. So that actually applied a lot of those things to it. And amazingly, I turned into this guy that I never knew existed. existed. I did, you know, 85 weddings over the next um, three hell. years. Wow. Uh, which, which isn't a lot now for a wedding photographer, but it was a lot for me. But you're not a wedding photographer. It's a lot for a landscape photographer to do that. Yes. Weddings, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, wow. you know, I was I was committed to it and it was it was it was great. I had a great, I had a great time, but the workload was ridiculous mm -hmm. and, and it did stress me out a bit. And I used to get very stressed before each wedding and uh, mm -hmm. before and I realized, look, this isn't what I want to do. I, I knew in my heart and soul, this is not what I want to be doing. But mm -hmm. yet when I got there, I was this incredible person yeah. that everyone yeah. loved and I mean yeah. I have a I have a shelf of, of letters and postcards and emails and everything from people who just you know Blown couldn't away thank me enough yeah. I yeah. didn't think my images were any you know they weren't going to win any awards but I suppose in the same way as what I looked for in the landscape I looked for you know just real emotion and real kind of mm -hmm. just authentic authenticity mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that seemed to work and yeah but as I said, three years ago, I knocked it on the head and it's just full time in the gallery now, which is great. And you know what? I mean, it, the, the gallery, for anybody who's listening to the podcast that has visited the gallery, they know how beautiful you've actually put a gallery together. It is really, really nice. And, you know, for anybody that hasn't, when we can all move around the place again, I'd recommend, you know, to go to Camera and look at the gallery because it is a fantastic body of work. But not only that, the way you've got it laid out, I think is very, very good as well. And I suppose with that in mind, you know, we're, we're dealing with different times right now. So your, your gallery is in Kenmare. And obviously during the summertime, we get typically a lot of tourists that will come to Kenmare. But now in the last year, we haven't had that. And, you know, we're in the, the, the COVID situation. Has that made things more different? Have you had to diversify now to be able to, like, you know, still keep the business going, but without the, the footfall, let's just say, um, of the tourists coming into Kenmare. Uh, how, how different is it now to in the past with the, with the gallery? Well, at the moment, it's very different because we're closed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was closed for half of last year. You know, uh -huh. I had, we had literally, um, I'd spent February working in the gallery. So we'd spent February painting it and getting everything ship shape. And mm -hmm. I had framed up uh, a load of new stock. 
I had a load of great plans and then that was it. We, we were shut. Now, I, 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 everyone's COVID experience has been very different. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember being out in shoots and I would kind of listen to the radio as I'm driving around in February, listening to the reports of this kind of growing situation mm-hmm. and being genuinely really concerned uh, and being, being amazed at how unconcerned the rest of everyone was and mm-hmm. how when it, when it kind of hit, we, we were terrified because I have a 14-year-old daughter who's type 1 diabetic. And at the time, all you heard was people who are overweight, people Mm -hmm. who have asthma and diabetics. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we were genuinely really scared. So lockdown actually came as a huge relief. Mm -hmm. Everything was put in perspective. I didn't give a monkeys about the business. You know, mm-hmm. I really didn't. I, I, I had said to my wife, I just turned around and said, look, let's just write the year off. Let's just pretend it just didn't. Let's get through it with what we can. And mm-hmm. fortunately, I had savings to, to see us Keep through the going, year, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we actually isolated about a week or 10 days before lockdown came in. We had made that decision ourselves. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. lockdown was a huge relief for us. Mm-hmm. And then you know something amazing happened you know the sun started shining we mm-hmm. we discovered our local area we we were all having breakfast lunch and dinner together the four of us sitting around the table myself Every and day. my wife were out painting the fence and gardening and everything i mean lots of people have similar stories mm-hmm. and i had the first break the first proper break that i had uh, in about 12 years wow um it was the first time i took any real serious downtime mm-hmm. it was lovely so i i, I you know we we tried to look on the on the bright side of bright it side. as much as we sure. could business sure. at the start i had a flurry of activity online and i thought this is great mm-hmm. this is what everyone's going to do and even from the states and stuff but mm-hmm. then the more serious the situation got that pretty much dried up okay and then as soon as i tried to do something you know you just run into logistical problems everywhere my mm-hmm. framer suppliers wasn't functioning properly all the postal system all around the world stopped so you mm-hmm. couldn't ship anything mm-hmm. so I had to I had to try uh, a lot of different things you know it started to work I, I had enough coming in that kept me taking over that basically covered the costs of keeping the gallery going and everything mm-hmm. and we didn't open up the gallery properly until July because okay. there was no point I mean I think we could open up mid-June but there was no one around sure. so as soon as people started traveling and we ended up having uh, the busiest July and August we've ever had. Um, and a lot of a lot of businesses are the same. And, and mm-hmm. you know, a couple of people I know who have galleries all had the same experience. Mm-hmm. So what happened was the Irish just came out in droves Absolutely. because they had been locked up for four months and they weren't spending five grand flying to the Canaries. Exactly. Uh, they all had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, my, my customer base had changed rapidly. Mm-hmm. To people who would never consider buying any art who were sitting at home in their living room they were being nagged into you know doing up their living room and changing mm-hmm. the wallpaper and doing everything so Absolutely, this all started yep. to happen mm-hmm. it was great mm-hmm. you know we had we had a pretty good summer i have to say and it was very different in that normally i would probably export about half my sales between may and september would go to the states mm-hmm. and there's a lot of work in that mm-hmm. because you have to ship and box and mm-hmm. trace and track yes. and there's emails back and forth all the time and everything mm-hmm. but now people were just coming in taking the stuff off the walls putting wow. it in their car and driving away <laughs> wow. so um i have to say we we had a we had a really we had a really good summer we were we 
we were geared up for like continuing that on but then of course the second lockdown happened and then we mm -hmm. lost october and that was a big hit for us but then christmas happened mm -hmm. and we had a really really busy november and december Fantastic. and we were we were ready ready for it mm -hmm. normally in this in november i would do a major commercial art show in dublin which takes me about two weeks to prepare for it and then it's a week up there so it's a mm -hmm. big commitment that's nearly mm -hmm. all of november so we didn't have this that this year but instead we were in the workshop every day framing printing boxing shipping out it was it was great everyone's story is different but i feel very fortunate it, it was wonderful as well because we were suddenly it was a different kind of feel to what you were doing i mean people were at home and they were they were getting this this a lot of the emails all were the same it was like we can't make it to carry this year we mm -hmm. you know we've been we've been longing for something mm -hmm. so we're going to buy you know this picture off you or whatever and then you'd get an email when they get it you know equally as nice um, mm -hmm. so there was a there was a slightly different feel to it and you kind of felt uh, i mean i was very very humbled and blown away by how many people supported my work mm -hmm. during this time it was mm -hmm. incredible mm -hmm. and not just me but artists in general I mean, I know, I know from, from suppliers how busy they've all been and how busy other artists have been. And people just, you know, there was the whole kind of buy local, buy Irish um, aspect yeah. to it as well. Mm -hmm. We made it work. Now, normally this time of the year, I'd probably be closed anyway. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of that residual kind of good feeling is still tipping away. Mm -hmm. I just was very lucky. Now, I mean, I feel for guys have friends who are very reliant on workshop businesses and so on for sure and that was de that was decimated i have friends who are wedding photographers That's i mean done. i just thank thank my lucky stars i, I got out of that game mm -hmm. you know and even um, sports so photography has gone as well because yeah you know, yeah exactly i was in a very very fortunate very good, position good place yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and something else that got me thinking of there, you know, is that, like I've, as I said from the beginning, I've called into you a few times in the gallery and we've chatted a couple of times. And one of the things you'd say to me is that you can find it very hard to try and get out and get new work because you're in the gallery every single day, you know. So you might get out in the morning, but you have to rush back to get to the gallery because you wanted the gallery open unless you've got somebody else in there that can open it for you. Or even in the evening time, particularly in the winter's time or, for, or not even winter, but, you know, the autumn time and you get the, the nice colours and such like that. So... Did you get any opportunity now during the whole autumn of last year to go out and create new pieces? And have you found the release away from the gallery kind of a release of freedom to be able to say, OK, you know what, I can now go out and get these shots that I've wanted to get in the past. OK, granted, you can't go as far as you wanted to go, but when we were able to stay within our local area, is that something that you found has been uh, a new development too? Yeah, during the lockdown, I explored... I, I pretty much stuck to the to the rules. Yes. I, I stayed within five or six, seven K of, of the house here. I didn't do anything silly. I didn't mm -hmm. do any long journeys or anything like that. And not, not that, not for any kind of civic duty, really. It's just, you know, where I go and where I work and, and how I work. If you're driving down a country lane and there's some farmer that lives down there who could be terrified right now of seeing any strange car. For sure. I just, I didn't think, no, this, this isn't something I should be doing. But a bit like everyone, I, I decided, I, you know, I just started looking around me and where I live, I'm about three minutes walk to the beach. I've got a forest one side of me and I've got mountains behind me. It's 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 a pretty good spot mm -hmm. to go and explore. Mm -hmm. And I found places I, I couldn't believe how I hadn't been up there uh, in some of these places. <laughs> I just was kicking myself 
20 yeah. something years living here and this was on my doorstep but uh -huh. i found it it was it was very very important for me to do it to get mm -hmm. out there to to get that headspace to to not only to keep in touch with what i was doing and to create work but really for just to balance everything and to escape the news and to just i mean i'm very fortunate i've never had any issues with my mental health and i think the reason being has been that i've had this balance this incredible Absolutely. wonderful power of nature that uh, you know i allow into my life and is a huge part of my life constantly Absolutely. yeah i just felt that i felt i mean you know there were there were times when you know things things were kind of tough a bit like everyone you know we we all we probably all know someone who's either you know a, a covid denier or someone who's done something really silly and mm -hmm. you know you, you can get caught up and looking at stuff online and Sure. I, you know that that was no stranger to, to us here and and suddenly i started to to feel it really um you know getting quite anxious about it at times it was very hard to escape it but once i pick up the camera bag get in the car and you know you're out in the hills everything dissipates and it was a wonderful release just to change the scenery to do that mm. i actually did work quite a bit and then i did a nice little thing Kenmare was bizarre here we had this glorious weather but there wasn't a car in the streets. The, the town scenery, was completely yeah. deserted. And one morning when I was coming back in from a, from a very early shoot, I passed through the town and I, it was just gorgeous. So I started photographing the town. So then I ended up starting doing a little series on the town, pictures that I wanted to take for years, but you couldn't because the streets were always choked with traffic and buses and everything mm -hmm. overnight. And I had a great time doing that. And that, I, I only did it for myself. Mm -hmm. And I posted them online on my Instagram and the messages I got from people, it was incredible. People have stopped me on the street and said that series of pictures kept me going every day. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that I, I saved anyone or anything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it, the way people can relate to some imagery, they were uplifting, they were nice, it was sunny, but it was in the most dreadful of times. That was quite a lovely little thing to do. Mm -hmm. Then they started selling, which was bizarre exactly, you know yeah, and yeah. Uh, so so people started buying them you know when nothing else was coming in all of a sudden i had these now they were only open editions and they were small little open editions which was even which was even nicer to be honest mm -hmm. with you mm -hmm. because people bought them who and and locals came into my gallery afterwards and bought them who had never been in there who would never have considered of buying you know spending four or five six hundred euros on a piece mm -hmm. but they were delighted to buy you know these little small series of prints and that was really nice so yeah, yeah sure. quite a different different experience i did get out quite a bit i mean i was really disappointed with this lockdown but i knew it was coming mm -hmm. because i had some so many things planned it's not going to happen i missed last winter through just a, a few different things i was mm -hmm. working i had other commitments and I had another job on and i thought no this this winter this year yeah, i get it um, yeah no, I, I got out quite a bit before Christmas. I was working quite hard, but January, February, I kind of love this time of the year anyway. Me too. But I won't be gone anywhere, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, at least nowhere too far. Yeah. Not not for now anyway, but sure, you know what? The no. next seasons are, are about to arrive. And I suppose, you know, what we'll do there, Norm, is we'll take a very quick break, right? And uh, we'll be right back. And I want to discuss a bit more about the type of prints that you choose to go into the gallery. So we'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the podcast, why not jump over to iTunes or Spotify and listen to the back catalogue that we have of some great episodes where we talk about photography, gear, and some excellent guests along the way. Thanks very much for listening and for watching. We'll see you on the next one.
And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. So, Norm, as I alluded to there before the break, you know, you've got some fantastic prints that are in your gallery. And, you know, I've seen them in various different sizes, different mounts, etc., etc. Like, do you make these yourself or do you have somebody that makes them for you, first and foremost? I would do them myself. I've, I've always printed my, my own work, right from the very first early days of college from darkrooms and then everywhere I lived after that for the next 15, 16 years, okay. I had to have a darkroom. I wasn't the greatest of darkroom technicians. I mm-hmm. wasn't a great printer. You know, if I, if I really, if I needed a really good print, I would, I would send it out to someone else to get a okay. good print out of it. But uh, I loved it. I loved it. And it's something that actually always surprises me. A few photographers actually will invest in a printer and, and mm-hmm. print their work okay. today. I just think it's, it's an absolute just integral part of it that you don't really see it or feel it or experience it until you're holding it in your hand as a print. I've done it from very early days and when I switched to digital in 2011, I was able to you know, print quite easily with you know, the inkjet printers that were around, but they've evolved incredibly. You know, I have a large format printer now and they're just incredible machines. Mm-hmm. From a business point of view and from a commercial point of view, uh, it just makes sense to be printing sure. y- your own work. I would, I'd love for someone to print my work all the time. But uh-huh. it, it just it, it just makes sense. And I just like the idea of actually printing. I wouldn't be I wouldn't really be just, you know, incredibly particular about printing as such. Uh, I, I believe, you know, I, I have a I have something that works. I think they work, I think it works quite well. I use kind of good papers, good ink. So I, tr- I trust the process sure. and then I, I put them all together in the frames myself. And the frames, I don't cut my frames myself. I get the frames ready assembled, already cut for me. into frames and I use a mounting system so I'd mount that all together and then I get my glass from a different supplier I use quite a nice non-reflective glass and all of that is fairly hands-on it's fairly physical it's time consuming we have looked at it over the years because it is it's the biggest it's one of the biggest things that you come up against as a photographer who's running a gallery you find yourself asking yourself am i a framer or am i a photographer because (laughs) i'm spending most of my time framing (laughs) and we've tried it we've tried outsourcing some of the framing to people but i have to say i am quite exact and i'm very precise in you know the finished product they're reasonably priced i think Mm -hmm. but at the same time they're they're it could be a lot of money to some people. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to um, put out anything that is, is not 100% right, that has you know little bits of dust in it. So we have to do that ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it, sure. it, it's a bit of a trap. You, you, you get stuck in it. And maybe someday down the line, uh, I will have you know, someone employed that will, will be able to do that and free me up a little bit. But there's, there's a certain ele- element of satisfaction in you know, doing a print and, and following it right through to, to a framed piece and, and hanging it on the wall, you know. Yeah, sure. It's even nicer when someone comes and takes them away. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's the most important part, really, at the end of the day, it's seeing the happy look in their face. But how do you decide what images go into the gallery then? I, I was very aware of, and because I thought about um, having a gallery for so long, uh, I mean, I used to read about it. I used to obsess, uh, obsess about it. Mm-hmm. And I used to read about everyone else, else living my life. So... Every interview, any anything about anyone who had a gallery, I used to, you know, just devour it. Uh-huh. So I knew a lot of the, the pitfalls. And, you know, there was the obvious one of, you know, once you have a gallery, it is essentially a business unless you want it to fail. And then, you know, there's you can fall into the trap of, of suddenly going out to photograph what you think will sell. And so many people have fallen into that trap. I, I didn't want to. I always I was very lucky in that. 
you know, because I was such a procrastinator and I put it off for so long, I had a develop a, a quite a decent collection and, and my photography had matured and evolved from five or six years earlier when I published my first book. So I was I was very happy with what I was putting on the walls, opening yeah. the doors. There was maybe one or two images in there that I'd kind of you know, and there's definitely a few that have come and gone that I've taken out of the collection that haven't gone back in. And there's a couple that have sold out. And there's probably, there's one image I'd say in the entire collection and that's a picture of Ross Castle. Uh, and it's a nice picture of Ross Castle. It's not a picture of the castle. It's a castle in the landscape. Mm-hmm. And as far as pictures of Ross Castle goes, I think it's, you know, it's a pretty good one and it suits my style. But that's probably the only one that I know that uh, I mean, for for example, I took it out of the gallery this summer because I just knew it it, it isn't of any interest. But yet, okay. when my American lovely customers come in, they just see that and they just go, "Oh my God!" You yeah, know, because they just they're suckers for a castle. Yes. You know, sometimes you will have pieces that you know that are there that are in your collection. You'll move them around and you'll position them. But as for deciding what I'm going to put in in terms of new work, uh, it generally has to you know. First of all, it has to excite me and really, really interest me. It has to actually then tie into where I am as a photographer now and where I, where I want to go. And I have to be very honest with myself and very, very hard on myself. For sure. I am pretty much my, my own toughest. The worst uh, cricket, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I really am. There are times that that works quite well. There are times when the more uh, bolder I've gotten and I've decided that something which I would regard as kind of really personal and kind of a bit out there, the more I put that work in, that actually, res- you know, gets a great response. <laughs> and the more I'm kind of encouraged to do that, the less and less stuff. I mean, I took an image quite recently of a place nearby and it was this spectacular sunrise. Now I've moved on from sunrises 10 years ago, but this was just mind boggling. You, you okay. just wouldn't believe it was true. And I, and I thought it was quite nice. But I, anyway, I ended up printing it and I just did a test print. And my wife walked in and she said, oh, my God, that's incredible. You have to put that in the gallery. And she just nagged and nagged and nagged. She said, you have to put it in. I did a print and it was a nice print. And, I, and just before, uh, just after the second lockdown, and I was sitting in the gallery and it was as if there was someone in the room that was just annoying you. This picture was just annoying me. And it just it just bothered me until eventually I said, right, that's it. That's gone. <laughs> and there was no other reason only, only for my own personal preference. And uh-huh. I don't want to come across as being a bit snobby or anything, but it just it didn't fit in with what, you know, what I wanted. Uh-huh. Now, you at the same time, you can't go completely full tilt your own personal stuff. So you have to strike a balance. But I, I, I don't go out and shoot for the gallery. I don't go out and shoot for sales. I'm very lucky in that in the last, since I've opened the gallery, really, I've been working on kind of book projects. Um, mm-hmm. And that really, that, that just sets me on a course. I end up making the images that I really want to make myself. Mm-hmm. And every now and again, I'm lucky. Now, I do get commissions. So I get commissions from people and I have a notebook of a long list of places that people want. I'm not going to say no to them. Um, sure. uh, but the condition is that I'll do it on my own time. So a commission could take two weeks or it could take three years. Yeah. So there's no time constraint. Every now and again, I, I have a photographed place that I wouldn't normally gone to do. And I thought, yeah, OK. So that's ended up in the gallery a bit. I think uh, you have to be honest and realize, A, it has to reflect me. Uh, it has to be a bit personal. 
it has to just tie in with my, the rest of the body of work. Mm -hmm. And so far, that just seems to be a kind of a natural process. I, I don't, I don't really have to think too hard uh, about it. I kind of, I know more about what not to put in the gallery than I do about what I am going to put in the gallery mm -hmm. and what mm -hmm. people will like. Mm -hmm. And I've done a few experiments. It's amazing. About a year and a half ago, I put a picture up onto Instagram, which I wouldn't normally put up. And it's an image I took for Bera, uh, which I didn't put in the book. Okay. It is, I think, head and shoulders, probably the most popular image that I've ever put up on Instagram. Wow. It just was, it went, you know, now I'm not, like I've only like 3,000 or something followers or something. But it, it was the most liked, most engaged, most whatever image that I've had. And I didn't really rate it. And I said, I'm going to do a print of this. So I, pr I printed one up. It's framed. It's really lovely presented. And I put it in the gallery and it's still there. Wow. I haven't sold a single one of them. And I know I won't. And I'll end up giving it away to someone. And it's, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, mm -hmm. it's a and, and people come in and they... They, they, oh, isn't that beautiful, isn't this one? But they end up buying something else. So it's funny, there's no rhyme or reason to it, really. There's no set kind of pattern of, of what you do. But I suppose, as I said, I kind of know more about what not to put in than mm, interesting. what I, I do put in, yeah. Very interesting. You know, you mentioned there actually about books and you mentioned about Bera, you know, and like Bera, I think that's your most recent release. And I mean, Bera is a stunning location and it's one that seems to be passed by by many people. I mean, I know myself, I've gone to Beira a few times, but I've never even touched the surface of Beira. And it's an area that I think is unexplored. So what made you come up with the idea is, as you said earlier on, when you first gave, gave an example of getting your camera, the first place you went to was out onto Beira. Beira, I think, has something innately built into you, I think, but maybe I'm wrong on that. But like, what what is it about Beira? Why did you decide to do a book about Beira? And do you agree that it is an area that is overlooked by many it certainly was it's it, it's kind of it's it's really um i think it's it's on the map now the secret's out and you're mm -hmm. right in in terms of my connection with it i mean i, I would my heart and soul is, is really out there you know it, it's it's just a place that i find just i just feel at home there I, I just i i absolutely everything that i love and everything that i fell in love with about landscape photography and every image and i i remember things i remember shafts of light i remember early mm -hmm. mornings I have, I have a visual memory rather than kind of dates and names or anything and they're, they're all out there you know that's nearly 30 years of it after mm -hmm. i finished my first book in in parklight you have this kind of instant craving well at least i do to go on to the next project mm -hmm. i had a couple of ideas and i had i had kind of tentatively started from a very different book and it wasn't grabbing me but you know one day i found myself out in Beira just on a shoot and i realized you know what am i what am i thinking of this this is actually, this is what, where this I should be. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this is where it speaks to me. I, I, I find it a, an incredible place and, and a landscape to work in. But I can understand how on the surface it would be kind of confusing and challenging for other photographers. Especially, you know, guys that come down for a day or, or a week or, or a weekend, I mean. Because on the surface, there aren't that many instant spots you can go and get instant their shots. bangers. You yeah, know, yeah, you know. Yeah. There's a couple of places, but for me, I had been immersed in this landscape for 20 more years. So the pictures that I wanted to make were very different than what a lot of other people would have been gone looking for. And I used to, uh, it was one of the things I used to just marvel at when I, when I looked through photography books of photographers I loved and the early days kind of thinking, how did they, 
how did they think to, to take that picture when, mm-hmm. when I knew that, you know, so many people would have walked by it. And obviously at that time, that's what spoke to them. And so there was, does it, I, I came at Bera at a very different kind of approach than I did with my first book, Parklight, where I was trying to record a place and, you know, make a, make a kind of a statement. Whereas with sure. Bera, I was going to indulge myself and it was going to be an absolute personal expression of my experience in this landscape. That was incredible. I knew I was kind of taking a risk, but in hindsight now, it was the best thing I've done because I think it just, it speaks to the viewer in, in a way that, you know, more so than any kind of a, a guidebook or a, any mm-hmm. kind of a touristy kind of photography book would. It's not a collection of pictures of a place. It's, it's a collection of pictures that sum up an idea or an experience or a feeling uh, or an attachment to a landscape. And amazingly, a lot of people have an incredible attachment to, to, to Bera. It's, it, it's, it's hard to quantify. Mm. I mean, I know from my years being here and knowing people who live there, you know, I've known kind of Germans to accidentally take a wrong turn, head out onto the Bera thinking they were going to Killarney. And then they never left for 40 years. <laughs> and it's that kind of place. And it's wonderful. And you would meet all sorts of, of people who live there, you know, artists and artisan food makers and you know dutch people and german people and people who are just completely you know getting away from from, uh, from life yeah yeah i mean neil jordan the film director who wrote the forward to the book you know he has a house there and you know that's why i approached him because I, I thought well he's he he gets it you know mm-hmm. he, he he gets this place there's been all manner of people over the years you know no one no one could quite put their finger on it because mm-hmm. on paper it has nothing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it has very little. There's no beaches. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, there aren't any great restaurants. Castletown Bear, only in recent years, has it come on a little bit. But before that, it was an eyesore. You know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why this place shouldn't be that special. But yet it is to mm. so many people. It was mm. perfect for me to a book on it. Again, it, it, I was very lucky, along with Parklight, which was on Killarney National Park. Yes. I was the first photographer to do a, a photographic study of, of, of the park. And Bera was the first photographic book on Bera. It's not like, oh, you know, feather on my cap, I'm the first, but it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful help sure. when you're promoting a book. And it's a really nice feeling to feel that you're working on something original. Mm-hmm. And when you're mm-hmm. out in the mornings, it's a lovely feeling to think you're possibly breaking new ground mm-hmm. and that you're going to do something that people will be really excited by. And the reaction to it was fantastic. So, you know, I'm, I'm really happy I did. And, you know, something else I think I was thinking of, and, and I suppose, like I say, I, I've known you for a number of years, and I suppose one of the things that I've, not, I've spotted about you is you have a love-hate relationship with social media. So there was a period of time when you said, that's it, I'm done with social media, I don't want any more to do with it. And now I suppose I see you're back on social media. So, like, with that in mind, in the audience point of view, what's your thoughts? Is, has social media helped you or hindered you in recent times? Have your thoughts changed on social media? You're on Instagram, are you on Facebook? What's your thoughts in general? How is social media and, and you getting on at the moment? Yeah, I, I do have a kind of a love-hate relationship with it, to be honest with you. Um, but it's, it's, it's a necessary thing. I mean, I, I, do, I do actually really enjoy lots of it. And I do, I do really enjoy um, sharing my work. I think that that's quite important. And I don't necessarily do it for anything other than the fact that I get some enjoyment out of sharing it. Now, as a consequence, I... I do end up getting, you know, 
uh, sales and exposure and a bit of promotion about it. I don't have a huge following. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've only a few thousand followers on Instagram and the same on Facebook. And you know yourself, out of those few thousands, there's only a couple of hundred yep. that actually probably get to see my stuff. Engages I was a very early adopter to it. Uh, I, I, I was straight onto Facebook just even before I had a website okay. 10 or 11 years ago when it first came out. But immediately I could see the, the problems with it. A bit like everything in life, I retain a, a healthy cynicism about it. And I think you have to because, mm. I mean, let's be honest, about 80% of Instagram is bullshit. Yes. You know, it's, yeah. it's absolute nonsense. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the Joe blogs you see with 10,000 followers, it's just mental. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I, I can see through a lot of that and I don't look on it and go, oh, I want these. You know, there are certain things that I do that I would rather have a kind of a, a genuine, uh, engaging and authentic uh, people that I connect with than, mm -hmm. you know, a quantity. Like everyone else, I get these followers that, you know, these are accounts and you just you just know they're fake. I just block them all. Mm -hmm. I actually spend I, I do go through the follower list for quite a bit of time and you know I get a, I get messages and you just know they're bots you know mm -hmm. there's not many 19 year old Brazilian models that really want to chat to me <laughs> so Only I just, on Tuesdays, you know, yeah. yeah so they're they're just instantly blocked and reported because I don't want that skewing you know anything I lament a little bit of the fact that there isn't more kind of meaningful engagement on there and I can understand because it's a time thing and there's lots of people going through lots of things and I mean I do it myself there's photographers that I know and respect and really like and I love their work but all I ever do is just give it a like mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I, I just don't have the time to go mm -hmm. into an in-depth appraisal of, of their work at times mm -hmm. I appreciate when people take the time to do that I appreciate when someone says something genuine and I I actually make an effort as as cynical as I am about the whole thing I make an effort to be genuine and authentic. I kind of try to give a bit of myself uh, there and I try to, it's not just, you know, look how great I am. I, mm -hmm. I want to just try and explain a little bit because that's what's of real interest to me is, you know, I, I just, you know, I have so much invested in maybe making this image. I want to try and share a little bit of that with, with people, maybe get across and all the time. Yeah, it's building up maybe a picture of me. It's, it's building up a little bit more of an exposure and it's, slowly you know when it times to when it comes time to maybe bring out my next book mm -hmm. it all makes sense uh, i have an engaged following Audience. that will actually be useful and would be interested in maybe uh, supporting a project like that and yeah i mean that whole concept of i forget the actual term but you know a thousand followers that's all you need mm -hmm. uh, and if you have a thousand genuine followers who are going to engage with your work who are going to buy a book, buy a print, you know, book a workshop, whatever, then mm -hmm. that's all you need. And there, there is this whole philosophy behind that. And I kind of like the idea that I would I would love if it all went away for maybe a year or something and see how we all got on, you know, <laughs> yeah. apart from the photography side of that, you know, uh, social media is just uh, a cesspit of awfulness at, at most times. I, I think photography and what we do is one of the safest, nicest places on the Internet. Agreed. Um, and I think uh, there's this kind of unwritten rule of everyone being nice to each other. There are some days when I look at the everyone being nice to each other as just we're all a bunch of sycophants. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, it's better than us being, you know, tearing each other apart. So it's nice. I mean, I remember when I when I first started, when I went online and 
uh, it was nice. It was quite a nice buzz when people were encouraging. Yes, for sure. You know, I I wouldn't ever be the type of person that would have let that go to my head and start believing my own hype. And in fact, I still probably don't. So when I when I when I have some meaningful engagement uh, with with people, that's really nice. And I would always encourage it. And, and maybe it's probably down to how I do it. I don't know. I just wonder. I don't get a whole lot of it but what i do have is i i kind of know my uh, the people that i reach mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. i use social me- social media and instagram as a kind of a litmus test for for some pictures mm-hmm. and i kind of can judge i can judge whether something actually because sometimes i actually don't know if an image is for good sure, or not yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it it's it it can be it can be one of those things you can be mm-hmm. looking at it for like days and days mm-hmm. and and you mm-hmm. go i don't know if this works and then you can put it on, you can put it up and and if a certain group of people and sometimes all I'm looking for is maybe the acknowledgement of about a dozen particular followers of mine and yeah, I'll kind of yeah. go, OK, yeah, you know, that will work. Um, uh, but it's not a hard it's not a hard and fast rule. Or you could just catch it and throw it up into somewhere where you've got a group of people that will tell you every image is fantastic, even if it's not. And then it ends up becoming something which it actually isn't. And you'd prefer to know something for what it actually yeah. is rather than the inverted commas fakeness of the whole social media scene in in that point of view and i think one thing i i find quite a lot about instagram is it's the images that are oversaturated that are super saturated that are beyond realism are the ones that actually work really really well on instagram but an actual proper image that's been taken correctly which has subtle colors for what they actually were you didn't bring the slider for saturation or vibrance up to 11 or 12 they're the ones that don't do well on instagram and then you might go oh hang on if I'm only shooting for the gram here, oh, okay, that's not a good image. But in fact, it's actually a far better image than the image that you super saturated and that got all the likes on Instagram. And I think that's probably a balance that a lot of people don't get early on in their photography. And then they start editing for Instagram and it affects how they edit their images going forward, which actually isn't a good trend to go down the route. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I count myself very fortunate that you know my formative years in photography were before the internet even existed mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i kind of developed a style and my my well i began developing a style i'm, I'm still developing i don't even know what that means sometimes to developing <laughs> a style but i'm 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 progressing as a photographer and and i have a, an idea of what i want to do i find it hard sometimes when you're exposed to so many images to to isolate yourself from that and to insulate yourself from it and not let it uh let it let it unduly affect you yeah. in a way that it shouldn't because there's nothing worse uh, and and I don't know if it happens to many people, but it happens to me uh, on a couple of occasions when you're just about to click the shutter and you realize you're taking someone else's picture. And yeah. I, I kind of it's like, you know, a, a cold shudder of someone walking over your grave feeling. Yeah, yeah. I just feel I, I kind of and, and that actually kind of depresses me a little bit. And I think you were alluding to before when I, I went, I used to do that. I, I've done it a couple of times, just completely shut down all my social media accounts. Mm-hmm. And I did it at a time when I was in, doing Bearer because I felt I, w- I was at a time when um, I knew creatively I was really challenged and I was working in a particular area. And I, there was some images that I just I, I, I just had to go out and see this place anew. And there were a couple of images that I had seen of it and I just didn't want to take that picture so i you know just 
shut myself off from everything for, for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful to do that. I mm-hmm. think I have, you know, I've seen photographers and I've seen people say, oh, I don't look at other photographers' images. I just do my own stuff. Uh, you know, I don't believe that for a second. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's hard. It's really hard not to suddenly be, be influenced by other people's work. I probably struggled with it earlier on. I think I have a quite a good handle on it now and I have, I have a very good idea and I'm far more confident as a photographer of the images I want to make. Mm-hmm. And I've learned, I have a kind of a, I, I've learned that when I am exposed to something, I, I try not to just, you know, I, I don't endlessly scroll through people's work all the time or anything, but there are a couple of photographers I follow. I try and follow photographers and look at work that, is going to be you know a million miles away from what i do anyway mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. who photograph in the desert in arizona or something like that mm-hmm. but i feel i i'd get nothing from photograph you know following photographers that you know shoot what i do and same and, place and same trying, spots. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah but you know it's look it has its pitfalls but it, it also has its, its benefits and certainly the explosion of photographers you know purely i suppose from Instagram it oh, yeah. has been oh, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it's great. You know, it's 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 great, really. I mean, you know, what what better thing to do than to go out and, and photograph the landscape and to be passionate about it? And I think in the past I've I've talked about this and you know in interviews and stuff, and I've probably come across as a bit curmudgeonly and you know resentful of it. Uh, I'm not really. It is genuinely great. It's just not for me, you know. Mm. And I kind of I view it in a very different way. And I would like if it was a little bit different. The sociability mm-hmm. side of and everything, guys meeting up together and three or four of them going up doing landscape photography. Personally, I don't get it because mm-hmm. I work by myself mm-hmm. and I need to work by myself because it's mm-hmm. a personal thing. But it's great that photography has 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 given people that and you know friendships and everything as far there's probably been marriages oh yeah you know for sure. uh, yeah, out of landscape photography you yeah, know yeah, yeah, um yeah. and instagram and whatever so it, it, it's good hopefully it'll only get better and things will improve i mean i think the people who are dedicate themselves and and give a bit of their time and a bit of their life to it just the people who are still running around lavender fields with their iphones is just probably ruin it for everyone i think you know well you know what it's it's like you see the one type of photograph that somebody gets and then it's like okay i want to go do that and somebody goes and plonks their tripod or their feet in exactly the same spot takes exactly the same photograph and you end up with nothing unique nothing personal and it's just something that i saw that work on social media i'm going to do exactly the same yeah okay let's see if they if i can do the same and as you mentioned like with a phone like you can point a phone, you can take a photograph. And something I've noticed over many, many years on different groups on, on Facebook and such like that, you know, um, not photography groups, but, you know, just kind of general like Ireland groups and whatever it may be. And somebody all of a sudden, every so often, they'll drop a post and go, can somebody please post a photograph that's not been processed? And you're looking going, hang on a second. Every photograph has been processed. Even the photograph yeah. you take with your phone has been processed. Exactly, yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So, like... People kind of get, they look at the colors and the explosion of colors because colors are an emotional connection. The brighter the color, the more attracted you are to it. But that's fine. But if you're a photographer, the brighter the color for me, the more repulsed I am from it. And I mean, you often see of people that you say about a sunset. If you go to take a sunset and it's a bright golden red, or golden red, bright crimson red sunrise or sunset, you'll invariably end up bringing the saturation down when you're processing the image because you kind of go, oh, hang on, it looks a bit too much or whatever it may have been. But there's still mm-hmm. people out there that would push that that little bit further because it's color. And the color is something I think that attracts people to Instagram for number one. But 
exactly as you say you know it's a case of where is the uniqueness where is there something that somebody can grow from it and find their own path find their own vision find their own style and if you're constantly copying somebody else then yeah i don't think it can be any way beneficial but also at the same point it can be good to learn and if you've got people like you say for example that you you're looking you might put up a post and say okay if, if a certain group of 12 people comment or liking it i know i'm onto a good thing but on the flip side to that you may have an image that you think is excellent and it may not get the love and the attention that you were expected and that's yeah. where i think yeah. social media can be detrimental to somebody's experience somebody's journey somebody's abilities because there it can be so much so you're feeding on that little heart appearing or you're feeding on those likes and it's not really indicative of photography because photography has been around a lot longer than social media you know that's the thing i think people forget about is that Social media is not photography, and photography is not social media. And mm-hmm. for me, I'm similar in, in, to your thought process, to be honest with you, because my world of social media is only photography. You know, I've got friends of mine, and they see all these other people's lives. And I don't even look at that. I don't even have that. I've all right, that blocked yeah, from many. Yeah. All ever appears on my feed is photographs. And I see photographs from the select people that I want to see photographs of. And that's where I can say, okay, you know what? I can help people. I'm not saying I'm a fantastic photographer in any shape or form, but I can help people because I might be longer in my journey than they are. Or they can help me because they might know something that I've wanted to learn. Like, for example, Astro or whatever it may have been. And I go, okay, geez, I want to know how to do that. So I can, you can, it it has its benefits. But as you say, it also has its uh, its pitfalls. And I think it's it's something, it's a topic I've spoken about a number of times on the podcast. And I could go on about it, Norman. For, for, <laughs> for a long time, you know. So look, what I'll do here, look, is that I'm, I'll take one final break, right? And we've I have three questions that I ask every guest, and I'm going to come back after the break, and I'll ask you exactly the same three questions. So yeah, hope you're ready for them because they're not that easy, but they're not that hard as well. So yeah, we'll be right back okay. after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the podcast, why not jump over to iTunes or Spotify and listen to the back catalogue that we have of some great episodes where we talk about photography, gear and some excellent guests along the way. Thanks very much for listening and for watching. We'll see you on the next one. And you're very welcome back to the final part of the Irish Photography Podcast. So, Norm, we have a regular segment, like alluded to before the break. You know, I've got three questions that I ask every single guest. And the first question I'm going to ask you, and that is a funny photography story. So, what's yours? Have you many? Um, Well, as a landscape photographer... I work on my own on your own all yeah. the time. <laughs> so what might be funny to me, um, you know, there's not much uh, opportunities for humor really, um, as such when you're out all day on your, on your own. own. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a, a, a tricky one. I mean, I, I I've done pretty stupid things. You know, I've I've driven from Ken Merritt's Clonakilty at five in the morning for a shoot and left my camera bag at home. <laughs> you know, I've I've done silly little things like that. Um, probably. I suppose if I was in a pub sitting down telling photography stories, they'd generally be centered around kind of the commercial world or, or weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, there's the particular venue that I worked in, um, the, the, the owner of that venue uh, loves to tell this story to everyone. Now, he tells all brides about it. But I had um, taken a bride and groom off to a particular location uh, on the grounds of the venue and they used to very kindly give me uh, their golf cart their golf buggy to mm-hmm. um to ferry the bride and groom around and i used to tear around the place in this and i knew exactly what i was doing every week was the, was the same thing great fun uh, and we were going up uh, this kind of little hill 
and next minute the bride started screaming um stopped the thing stuff so i turned around and i i didn't actually i didn't want to turn around because i thought i was going to see blood or her legs <laughs> stuck in the thing or something but um probably even worse was her dress had got wrapped around the back axle of Uh-oh. the car um so <laughs> i just i didn't know what to do i just got out and i just unwound it and i kind of handed her this big lump of greasy rags into her into her lap uh, I was just uh, you know I didn't really know what to say I just kept saying sorry but anyway there was nothing for it but uh, amazingly um, the dress was a kind of a bizarre uh, thing it had these three layers or even more than three layers but it was a layered dress okay and it was the top big frilly layer that I got and there was nothing for it but I just said let's just rip it off so we just ripped off the the top layer and carried on with the shoot and uh, there was a little bit of a mark somewhere else but he said we'll hide that so it was fine got back to the um back to the venue uh-huh. and of course the story went around very quickly and i did my best to do the rest of the day without any major cock-ups um, and before we were announcing the bride and groom and we were all me the bride and groom were sitting outside the venue having a bit of a chat uh-huh. reliving the incident uh-huh. and i said would you would you like a drink and i went up to the bar to get them a drink and i got them two glasses of champagne i was walking down to them then i proceeded to spill one of the glasses <laughs> of champagne right right into her lap and we just looked at each other and laughed and thank god it was champagne and not red wine not red wine yeah and uh, at this stage i was just i couldn't believe what i was doing so i said <laughs> you know what, I'm actually going to go because I just don't want to do anything more. And they, they, they we, I hung around for a bit, um, did some speeches and so on. I wasn't staying for the late part of the wedding. And uh, as I was saying my, my goodbyes, I went up and said goodbye. We were all laughing again because it was just a constant thing of laughing, saying I can't believe this actually happened. I mean, they were brilliant. Comedy you know, they memories, were brilliant. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they, they saw the funny side of it and there was no real damage done. We got the pictures done. I went back out to my car and uh, was getting in the car just about to drive away and I realised there was something in my pocket and I realised it was her lipstick that she had handed me at some stage, the bride's okay. lipstick. So I went back in to, to give her the lipstick and I went over to the table and she's sitting down having after dinner drinks, whatever, chatting to someone and she's caught my eye and I went to hand her this thing and she wasn't really looking at what I was doing. and So she grabbed it and the top came off and then the lipstick flew at her and hit her dress and at that stage i did hold up my hands and just say right that's it (laughs) i'm I'm out of here (laughs) yeah i couldn't believe it uh three three times anyway they they come down to kenmare every year they walk into the gallery and they just go it's us you know (laughs) um we have a great laugh but the owner of the venue just uh i mean i worked with him for another two years and he had every couple primed with this story about <laughs> listen listen to this what this guy did um so yeah so that was that was that was a bit of bit, bit of fun um but you know out in the landscape yeah apart from doing silly things uh, myself which sometimes aren't that funny because they're quite annoying uh-huh, like uh-huh. you know taking your camera out with no batteries in it or no or forgetting your entire camera bag if you're yeah but the, the, well, the camera bag one was hilarious because I, I i i had just bought a, a new car and i was more excited about the new car than anything else so i thought i'm going to take it on a test run got up at i think about four in the morning got down to clonakilty and um was it was all all go and i opened the boot and i just couldn't understand what was wrong with this picture 
I just couldn't process that I the camera bag wasn't there. Um, <laughs> I ended up driving home and I was so stubborn and, and determined. I ended up driving back to Kenmare, which is about two and a half hours, two hours, getting the camera bag and getting straight back in the car and going back down and wow. staying in Inchidani for the night to get up in the morning to do it. I was just determined. And I'd be like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, be bullish and I, do what I'm going to do. When I do something stupid, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's well, That, that that's was interesting. My, you know, yeah. they, do t- they do say that things come in trees. So, you know, I mean, you did have mm-hmm. three incidences, I suppose, with the, uh, with the bride. And then, obviously, you know, like forgetting the camera bag, I suppose, is unforgivable, to be honest. But let, let me ask yes, you the question, I because cause I do ask, you know, the same similar question is, what, what's in your camera bag at the moment? So what gear do you shoot with? Since I switched to digital, I've photographed with Canon cameras for Good man. Uh, the last, say, 10 years. Currently, I have my main camera is an ESR5. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't be the most techie orientated person. I'm not a real gearhead as such. But I have to say, I absolutely love this camera. Um, is, is it phenomenal? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just... I mean, I wouldn't be the one to, to judge it in terms of files and, and quality in terms of, I mean, I love what it's given me so far. So mm-hmm. I've nothing to compare it to in terms of comparing it to a Nikon or a Sony. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I had a Sony, I had an A7R two, and that was an amazing camera. But at batteries. Yes, so that was my big problem with that camera. Yeah. It absolutely sucked yeah. and I couldn't use it. So I sold it, um, you know, after a few months. But this uh, this new camera, um, I love the ergonomics of it. I love that articulated screen mm-hmm. uh, because, I mean, I used to shoot a medium format film with a view camera for um, 15, 16 years. And one of the things that I loved uh, doing was, was shooting low down and looking down into the mm-hmm. camera. So now I kind of do that a little bit more with this. My eyesight is also getting you know, ridiculously stupid at this age state of my life. Sure and suddenly I need glasses. Yeah, yeah. Um, but all of a sudden you have all these focusing aids with, with this camera, which I yeah. didn't have on my 5DSR. And just that simple little, those two little triangles that come and meet. Yeah, they're very And nice. go green when you're, in, when you're in focus is just an absolute godsend for me. Mm-hmm. And it makes working with the camera. And all I want out of a camera is it for it to be not there, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to have to think about anything. I mean, I, I have a very rudimentary setup in terms of how I photograph. I don't do any of the crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't do focus stacking. I, I wouldn't know how to. I don't bracket. I don't do any of that stuff. Right. I, I'm pretty, you know, I, I photograph in the conditions that I find favorable yeah. and that I think I can work in. Other than that, I don't really work. So I want a camera that is quite intuitive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was worried about changing from uh, my last one because, you know, with the 5D SR, which was pretty much the same as the 5D Mark III and the 5D Mark II, which is what I've used, you know, you could use it in the dark with your eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was so used to it. The way Canon do it, they, do, they don't really don't change a whole you, lot. You can do that with the R5, it, exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I have that camera. Uh, I have uh, a selection of tilt and shift lenses, a 24 mil, which is my main lens, but I'm using the 50 mil a lot more nowadays. And have you got the, are, they, are, they, are they EF lenses or RF lenses? They're the EF lenses, yeah? Yeah, so they're the EF manual focus lenses, although amazingly, Canon are uh, supposed to be bringing out new versions of these tilt and shift lenses in the um, RF, yeah. For the, for the RF, and apparently they're going to be autofocus. Now, I don't actually use autofocus. I mm-hmm. 
I even my auto, autofocus lenses, I actually manually focus. Mm -hmm. It's just a habit. It's just how I work. Mm -hmm. So I would have those three tilt and shifts. I have that lovely 24 to 70 RF lens and uh, I just got the 70 to 200. RF? Yes. Oh, uh, that's and, a beautiful, you know, beautiful. Yeah, an amazing beautiful lens. lens yeah. I, with those two lenses are incredible because I have been hand-holding and I, I never hand-hold, <laughs> but I've been hand-holding practically in the dark and, and photographing with these and getting still. So it's opened up a whole new possibility of, of, of images that I could actually make and want to make and that mm -hmm. I kind of thought about mm -hmm. but never really could do with the camera fixed with tripod. So it's really good. I'd have a selection of other, other lenses that I've amassed over the years, but that would be my main. And I still have the 5DSR as a backup. backup. I recently got rid of the 1DX because I'm not doing weddings and commercials yeah. or anything anymore what tripod do you use yeah I've a bit of a tripod fetish so i have a number of tripods they're, they're mainly all gitzos okay. even though i fell out of love with gitzos a few years ago and you know two of my gitzos fell apart and in some respects they are overpriced yes i agree you know the recent ones they they, they sorted a lot of the stuff they were doing out i kind of switched to manfrotto's and stuff and they were even worse because mm -hmm. they're made in the they're made in the cheap end of the gitzo factory, gitzo factory think, yeah yeah you know so the latest, uh, the, the more recent Gitzo uh, tripods have been incredible. I mean, you know, I have a, a Mountaineer one and uh, I have it a couple of years now. I really put it through its paces. Uh, the, the heads are rubbish. I don't like the Gitzo heads. I don't I've like always, mine either. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. yeah and, and I want to use it, but it's not, it's not as good as I think it should be. I recently bought um, a, a really small little, I, I don't know what the technical term is. It's a leveling head, but it's from Leo Photo. Yes. So I was going to buy an Arca Swiss version of it because another photographer I know had recommended it. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was about to press the button on this um, head, which was about 800 pounds sterling. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I'd never got one before. And I knew this is what I actually needed. But then I somehow came across this Leo Photo one, which is obviously a Chinese brand that basically knocks off anything that Arca Swiss do. Exactly. But the quality, the quality is incredible. Mm. And I was really, really, it was only 200 euros. So I said it was worth a gamble. It has been an absolute joy to use. Mm. So that has been a, that's been an absolute revelation mm. um, using, using this head in a totally different way. How about filters? Have you filters? Yeah, I, I, I try and keep that pretty basic. I, I did go into the whole, go down the whole road of trying other brands a couple of years ago. Uh -huh. I tried Nisi and I tried a couple of others because basically all I use is, um, is an ND grad. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would, I know you can bracket and I know I, I know I probably don't need to use a filter and you can do it all in post and everything I still like to compose and I still like to see an image out there you know I find it quite distracting if I'm going to take a picture with a burnt out sky thinking I'm going to bring that back Fix in it later yeah. in you know I just I, I can't do that I just my, I just have it hardwired in me that no that's that's gone so I use I use grads because I treat my gear so badly uh, I was going through so many of them that I was, you know, stopped buying, you know, glass ones because I was breaking them. And I just went back to Lee, Lee mm. filters once again. The resin. And yeah, and I'll, I'll get two or three months out of one before it's scratched to hell, which is crazy. So I have a, uh, I have a block of them. Mm. I don't know what to do with them. Um, you know, make, make an um, art design or something out of them, you know, put them together and yeah. be creative. And, and, and so, yeah, and I keep yeah. that fairly simple. I mean, I have a polarizer, but I very rarely use it. If I'm in woodland in the autumn, that's mm. about it. Mm. But uh, I know people live and die by a polarizer, but um, I can't stand what it does to skies and stuff. I keep it 
I try and keep it simple. Keep, keep it simple. Cable yeah. release and, yeah. and, and that's it. A kind of a, a meat and potatoes type of guy, like, you know, just keep it simple and just job done. I know, I know gear matters. And, uh-huh. and, and I am very privileged and fortunate that, you know, I work, this is my living. So I, I, I buy all the nice toys that uh-huh. I think are going to allow me to create better pictures and whatever and continue working. But it's not to be all and end all of everything. I've stuck with Canon over the years because that's just what I what i knew my very very first camera was a canon but other than that so yeah i mean i i keep it simple purely because it, it that's that's what Works. suits me i mean Works. i'm i'm straying away from that a little bit i'm i'm doing a little side project which involves working at night mm-hmm. uh with lights that has me thinking more uh, technically that's just more of a, a means to an end and rather enjoying the fact that i think i'm quite clever you know doing all this stuff it's still it's still about the image at the end of the absolutely. day really you know absolutely absolutely and I suppose the, the third and final question I have for you there uh, is we have a regular segment called a VSP. It's a very solid product. It's a, something photography related that you won't leave home without. And if you could put your name to it, you would put your name to it. So what's your VSP? My boots. Okay. Yeah, my Zambalan boots. Okay. I'm on my, I'm on my fourth pair now, I think. Okay. All, all my, my outdoor gear, I, I spend more on outdoor gear than I do in photography gear. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Though. And I always think I need more and I don't. It's, <laughs> it's just I have to stop. You know, I've actually just got a delivery of a new jacket today and I have about <laughs> four jackets. But this was just seemed to be the best jacket. It's shiny. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, but there is a logic to my thinking. Whatever I have on me that allows me to spend an extra four or five hours out in the landscape, comfortable dry and safe then it's money well spent i quite confidently wade off into into bogs or stand in rivers or whatever in my boots knowing Mm -hmm. that i'm not going to get wet and i'm not the type of photographer that you know i'll suffer an inconvenience likely like if i get wet or cold i'm getting annoyed and i'm I'm yeah. therefore not taking. Yeah, you're done basically. Concentrating yeah. on yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, if I get if I get my feet wet, it just annoys me. Yeah. Um, so I so I don't want to be that. And for years, I I've met people out, you know, dressed in jeans and woolly jumpers in the landscape, kind of <laughs> thinking, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I kind of I made a decision. Well, I suppose the the turning point for me was I went to Antarctica in 2008, and we got a list of gear that we there wasn't an option we had to have this and if we didn't have this we weren't getting on the plane Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden i was going in and i was spending a fortune on this stuff and i was like do i really need all this you know suddenly i had all this this gear and the gore-tex everything and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. base layers and you know two different types of boots and all this gloves and yeah it was the best thing ever and suddenly i'm you know uh, staying out uh, you know in south georgia for you know, hours and hours, uh, snug as a bug and perfectly safe and everything. And I thought, oh, yeah, OK, that's what it's about mm. is having good gear. But my boots are uh, it's ridiculous. My wife thinks I'm just ridiculous. I come home and I wash them and wax them more than, you know, <laughs> so but it's I do important. that before I say hello to the kids. But it's, it's, um, it's it is. Important. Oh, it's massively important. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's uh, it's good. So, yeah, so that that would be my um, my thing. Everyone should. Um, should get themselves a, a really really good pair of boots okay yeah you have to give me the details there and i can try and find them and put up a link into the uh the group so that people can see the type of boots that they are because i fully agree with you you know it, 
they say in the army and stuff like that, always keep look after your feet because if your feet get wet or anything like that, it can be detrimental. But even as you say, oh, yeah. if your feet are wet and it's cold, you're, you're uncomfortable. You're not enjoying it. As you say, your mind isn't engaged in what it should be. And all you're thinking about now is that my feet are cold or whatever it may have been. Like, the one thing I find that I don't like about my boots anyway is grip um, because like, I could go onto rocks. Uh, I do a lot of seascape, so I go onto rocks and I'll be slipping. Whereas I've got oh, other yeah, boots, no, no. like, you know, yeah. like grip is really, really important. And like exactly the same as you say then as well. Like you want to be able to walk across an area and go to an area that you can get into, compose that photograph. And you don't want to have to compromise. Yeah. You know but so? never, ever trust your, never, ever trust your, the grip on anything. No, I know. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's just the golden rule is like, if you think your boots are, you know, that's super good that they're going to protect you over slippy rocks, then you'll find out the hard way. So I always just err, try and err on the side of caution, yeah. even though even though they probably will hold you in. And, you know, the guys in the shops will tell you, oh, this will, oh, yeah. this extra anti-slip sole, this and that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's nonsense. You know, it it's is. a slippy rock. It's a slippy rock. It is. It is. So listen, final, final, final question. I've really, really enjoyed everything I suppose so far. So like, what's next now for you? You know, we're like, in the start of 2021. What's next for 2021 uh, for Norm? The main thing really is is trying to um, concentrate on when we might be able to open the gallery again mm -hmm. out of lockdown. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not massively concerned about it. I, I think it will happen. Um, we're, we're kind of resigned to the fact now that it probably won't be until mid or late May. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have the uh, kind of um, reassurance of what we went through last year uh, to kind of think, oh, you know, well, okay, it's, it's another year where, you know, we are going to lose money, but it, we're, we're going to keep going. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of sneaking in there. Um, but really, my main preoccupation is to finish my my next book project, okay, uh, which is called Kingdom, uh, which is a book on uh, the kingdom of Kerry. Mm -hmm. This is my adopted county that I live in here. Um, and that was supposed to be out uh, last Christmas. Uh, but obviously it, it couldn't be and i get an extra year to do it mm -hmm. um, but it's an extra funny year it's kind of it's not really a full year at all because we can't really travel i can't For do sure, yeah, half yeah. the stuff i want to do yeah um so we were actually just working today and yesterday on uh, cover concepts and that was really exciting because you know i have a really great idea for the cover that's going to be really nice i really love the editing and design stage of the book it's it's um uh, I, I'm really kind of into that mm -hmm. and I work with a really great uh, local designer here who's a good friend of mine um, so that's really good so um, I have quite a bit of work done but I have a lot to do and the way the books work is I will photograph an awful lot and very few of them will actually end up getting in the book mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but that's just the nature of the game I'm probably committed to, to hopefully photographing until next August Okay. And try and get everything I want to get done for it and have it out for, uh, I suppose, mid-autumn, okay. late autumn in time for Christmas. From then on, we hope to do lots of pretty cool stuff. I hope to have some exhibitions with it. There's a tentative uh, plans to bring it to America to for an exhibition over there. Fantastic. There's a great expat community over there. Um, something that I didn't really exploit with Bera, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think the... The Kerry connection is a is a bit wider reach, yeah, it's huge. and it's it's a bit more legible. It's a bit more understandable. It's 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 a it's a it's a good you know thing to back. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're um, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, just just uh, keep going, I suppose. Well, you know what? I hope that 2021 will be good for you. You know, I think you, as you say, you've got a lot that's lined up. I hope it all comes out. It sounds interesting about the book, you know, and even like we've discussed a number of things here this evening, Norman. I think it's been fascinating for you to kind of give the insight into where you've come from, what makes you tick, and now as well where you're going. So, you know, I mean, look, thank you very, very, very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. I really, really enjoyed the conversation with you. I'm looking forward now to seeing the finished book when it comes out at the end of 2021. And, um, yeah, where can people find more information on you? What details can people find more information on Norma Klosky? Okay, well, first and foremost, when we are able to move around, people can call into the gallery. Uh, I am actually kind of there less and less. I, I tend to be at the workshop here where I'm talking to you from at the moment sure. uh, when, we're, when we're busy. But it's great to meet people. I'm always happy to, to chat. Uh, photographers are kind of funny. Um, some, you know, quite a lot come in and they can be quite sheepish or wouldn't necessarily say hello and have a look around. Uh, what they don't realize is we can spot you a mile away. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, it's I, I always find it quite, quite, quite funny. And even my wife has got really good at spotting photographers. Uh, they tend to look at work like, you know, very differently. Mm-hmm. So but I would always encourage people to come in and say hello. And let me know what you're up to. Um, and I'm always kind of happy to chat, you know, it's best doing that in person. But failing that, um, yeah, on the on the uh, dreaded social media, I am on Instagram. I think it's Norm McCloskey. Uh, so head over there and give me a, a and don't just like or follow, but maybe, I don't know. Say hello. Maybe tell me that you, maybe tell me that you heard this and yeah, let me exactly. know where you're coming from, yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is always nice. Uh, Facebook. I kind of I don't know I I've I've half given up on Facebook now. Their whole um, their whole approach to everything is just f- certainly for me and the way they approach me and my account and the algorithm is just all about unless I pay for something then no one's seeing it. So and I kind of like the the more the the brevity of of Instagram as well mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, although the square format even though I shoot mainly squares it can be a bit uh, limiting. <laughs> um, and that's really it. I have a website for anyone who actually wants to invest in some high quality art. Uh, that's normanmcloskey.com. I do kind of occasionally blog on there. Uh, I'm very sporadic at it. Uh, and that's actually one of the what's next as well is uh, a big revamp of the website. Fantastic. Um, which is a long, long term project. But hopefully we're going to get it done in the next few months just in time for the new season. Fantastic. Um, yeah. But as I said, uh, in person is always good. So if you're in Kenmare, um, do call in and say hello. Yeah, fantastic. So look, uh, I've, I guess a moment ago, I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, so thank you very, very much for coming on. And hopefully when you know things come back to a bit of normality, I'll go back to my usual trick is anytime I go to Camera, I always call in and say hi to you. So yeah, until yeah. I can uh, see you again in person, you know, thank you very much again, once again. It was great. And uh, from me in Cork, to you down in the kingdom, Slanka Folk. Cheers, thanks, Dan. All the best. Cheers, man. Hey guys, if you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week, and remember, keep shooting.